So, um, you know, you, you kind of got to got to keep doing young things to keep young, I reckon. That's got to be the way forward. I feel like that's really vital. Um, I feel about 30. So, yeah. like, I think that's important. You know, yeah. if, you're bi- if you're biologically and mentally feel young. The other thing is purpose. Mm. You lose purpose, you're, you're going to die much faster. Simple as that. I I think that's I don't think you die quicker, but I think your joy of life will certainly disappear. Your energy will go down. Um, I mean, I know some old old yeah. folks that are hanging on in there without much. Like they've gone cantankerous, so to speak. Uh, and I would I would sort of uh, describe that as like losing direction. But they're hanging on. <laughs> it's like almost the cantankerous nature is keeping them going. It's a, yeah, some sort I of think energy. You can... I think you can lose. I think you can lose focus. I think you can lose a purpose and not die. But I think if you have purpose, you're very likely to keep going longer. Yeah, I, I think that's probably true as well. Um, and I mean, I, I, it's, it's it's macabre. I'm 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 so I just saw my grandparents um, for the first time in a long time. Um, grandfather's ninety five. Uh, grandma's ninety four. Um, they're in terrific nick. Terrific, terrific. Are you are you in Hong um, Kong now? Yeah, yeah, I'm in Hong Kong now. Um, cool. And this is my auntie's sort of uh, empty flat. I'm currently commandeering for the purposes of this uh, this live stream. Um, but I tell you, both my grandparents, I would say they don't necessarily have a drive. Um, uh, you know, there's no, there's no other than staying around. I mean, they're, they're determined to not, you know, they're determined to hang on as best they can. But their their their, their physical well being is really really good. Like mentally, don't, all good. Everything's all good. Don't tell me they are not like following recruiting brain food every day, watching the show, reading all the updates in the they, Facebook group. They haven't got a first clue what I'm doing. They haven't. No got the way. First clue. Yeah, that's their purpose. I bet they surprise <laughs> you. That's their purpose. They appear it's on cheer, screen cheerleading from the side. Maybe they're the one person that subscribes from Hong Kong uh, on, on a secret email. Who knows? Who knows? Um, anyway, folks, we are live, everybody. Welcome to Brain Food Live on Air. It's episode 190. We are bringing it to you every Friday, no fail. Wonderful to see where everyone is uh, all over the world, globally distributed, as we should be. Um, I'm uh, d- d- sort of broadcasting this uh, all the way from Hong Kong. I'll be doing this for the next four weeks, by the way. So I'm here for a month. Um, so the brain food lives are going to be shifted forward. You notice today it's sort of come forward two hours from our usual slot in order to make sure I'm not doing this like too late in the evening and then disturbing the dogs and cats in the village and so on. So um, so hopefully that's going to be okay for everybody. Um, a quick uh, sound check as usual. Just want to make sure everyone can hear me okay. Uh, if you're on Crowdcast and watching this and you can hear and see both Adam and myself, just put a comment in the chat stream and let me know whether you can uh, sort of a, the audio video is going well. Uh, we should be broadcasting live on LinkedIn also. Uh, so if you're watching this on the LinkedIn event, uh, which I think uh, a couple, maybe a hundred or so are, um, let me know in the comment thread there whether the audio and visual is okay. I think the audio visual is genuinely okay. I was actually quite worried when I was coming here because I'm stuck in the middle of the villages here. So it's like in the sticks. Um, but uh, but Wi-Fi looks pretty solid even from here. So, um, uh, so yes, all good. Um, anyway, um, good to see you as ever, Adam. Um, and by the way, Adam's birthday uh, a couple of days ago yesterday, maybe. So happy birthday, yesterday. Adam. 
Okay. Yeah, well done. Uh, staying alive. This is where we've got talking about mortality. You know, it's like as you get, I don't know when you start thinking about it, maybe 40 onwards, you start thinking about, oh, yeah, how long have I got left? Um, so, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm nearly halfway to your grandparents' age. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think the other thing is, if you if you change your if you your attitude and how you look after yourself and all that sort of stuff. See, 15 years ago, I'd have probably thought, yeah, if I get to 70, that'll be all right. But now I'm 46. And I'm thinking, I am, I reckon I'm bang on the halfway mark. I reckon it's half time right now. I've just started the second half. That's what yeah. I think. Yeah, and that's the great attitude. I think, um, and, and by the way, the Scots aren't doing great on longevity sticks, are they? I think um, in, in Europe, I believe, I ble- although then again, if, if you Especially take Glasgow. away, yeah, if you take away, there's a clear reason why, alcoholism and, and bad and chips, basically. You take away that those two components, I think it's, broadly average but they're, they're significant components uh to uh scottish lifespan i believe so uh, smoking um, drugs poor diet all yeah sorts. it's all it's all linked to poverty yep yep absolutely so so um see so anyway uh let's uh, let's talk about longevity another time um because we've got a show to get on with um we've got a very exciting show today it's a topic i've really been very very interested in because it's something i don't know too much about even though I've, I've lived in different countries i've never worked in different countries and it's something i miss doing actually looking back at my career um and today that's what we're going to be talking about what is the state of global mobility? I think we had a decent idea pre-COVID what the, what the direction of travel was um, in terms of global mobility. But since that time, shift to remote, we've had all kinds of crazy geopolitical situations. Are people still moving around in the same way in which we thought? If they are, from what country to what territory? Uh, what is the direction of travel? I know the UK has lost massive numbers of people, brain drain-wise, to the likes of Portugal and, and, and different places like that. So we, we've lost people. In fact, it, we've lost a, a huge amount of EU talent as a result of Brexit, of course. Um, but we have replaced them with non-EU people as well. So what does that mean? Um, we don't really have an idea. So today is all going to be about what is the state of global mobility if you're a recruiter and you're struggling to hire people, especially for on-premise type type jobs, you will need to look at uh, resources from outside of your country, in which case, how are you going about it? How are those things going to happen? We've got a marvelous set of guests to bring on to uh, educators on that. Uh, and in fact, one of our guests is going to come on and actually talk to us about her product because they are the sponsors of today's episode. Um, I think a lot of us in the UK and Europe have heard of this company um, because they've done uh, kind of led the way in terms of relocation of staff, come called Localize, coming out of Germany. Um, and it's my pleasure to bring on Lisa Dalko, one of the CEO, I think co-CEO and founder of the company. She's going to come on and give us a few minutes and tell us all about it. Um, let me just see whether I can grab Lisa and invite her on the show. There she is. Separately sometime, I'd love to ask Lisa about co-CEO and how that works. I believe co-CEO. I might have misread that, but it's a more common structure in, in mainland Europe than you'll find in the Anglo world. I've seen it a number of times, actually. I'd love um, to know. So, no, love to understand that. Yeah, very, it'd be very interesting. It might be a topic to do at another time, actually, because it's, 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 an, it's an interesting format. There she is. How are you, Lisa? Good to see Hello. you. Hello. Good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No, no, my pleasure. Wonderful to have you on the show. Um, firstly, thanks for sponsoring and also thanks for volunteering to come on um, and talking to us about your product. I know founders don't often do this, especially, 
you've gone beyond it. I know this is the last time you pitched this. It was like, you know, years and years ago. you got a sales team to do it now. But I thought it was kind of fun to get the founder on to say, okay, where is it coming from? What is this product all about? And where do you think it's going to go? So I wonder whether you could share with this a few words about Localize, uh, you know, who should care about it? What does it do? And uh, where do you think the uh, the positioning is for, uh, for, for the future for us in terms of uh, global mobility? Cool. Thank you so much for the introduction. Really appreciate it. And thanks for having us. Uh, super excited to, to sponsor this show, especially when it is about global mobility, of course. So I think that's a nice coincidence. Um, yeah, I'm Lisa, co-founder of Localize, founded Localize um, five years ago back, back in Germany. And uh, before that, I actually worked in HR and talent acquisition. So I'm a big supporter of what you're doing here, Hung. And uh, of course, especially excited about um, today's topic. At Localize, you could say we break down borders for companies and their um, employees. And I have a super strong connection to the topic myself because um, I moved to different countries myself. I worked in different countries. So hung, uh, waiting for you. Um, <laughs> and I think like also um, I got to know the topic from a company perspective. As I mentioned before, I worked in TA and HR and I actually also relocated more than 500 people um, to Europe. And um, we just want to enable companies to hire the best talent where doesn't matter where people live or where they come from. And overall, um, what we have built is a, a tool for HR teams and also for the international employees. So for HR teams, that means ton of paperwork around immigration, relocation, and you probably know how tough it can be to get one visa, but um, imagine you have to get 20 or 30 or 40. So that's definitely a challenge and um, we want to support that. So on one hand, we built um, a global mobility ATS. You can really see it like that, uh, a tracking tool for HR teams where it's super easier to hand over the cases, to keep track of different processes and basically to manage everything in one place. And um, we want to give HR teams uh, um, transparency, visibility, and also peace of mind so that they can focus on, on other topics. And um, on the other hand, we build a solution for the international employees. So a uh, great experience for the new talents. They get a step-by-step -step guide so that they always know um, what's going on, what to do next, be it booking an embassy appointment, getting a tax ID, getting a health insurance, finding a flat, a lot of different things to do. Um, so we're really the digital assistant um, for the whole relocation process. And um, talents are getting all the support they need to have a positive start in their new country. And that's really that's really our main goal. Um, there are probably some of you who are not working with us yet, but also know the pain. So I'm always like super happy to chat about that topic. Also like overall have a big, big network in HR. So always, um, always happy to network. So feel free to reach out via LinkedIn. Um, and I definitely will be listening to the discussion today um, and looking forward to some insights. You're hanging around. We're going to bring you back <laughs> on screen because your experience covers all of the bases um, that we want know, to talk about. Because um, you've come in from a candidate. I didn't realize you'd actually relocated several times yourself, Lee. So that's yeah, the experience yeah. that we, we want to touch on. You've also been a, a, a practitioner doing it so you've you've handled it from that side and of course now you're providing a solution so we'll bring you back onto the show once we uh sort of maybe mid-range if you're still around so be wonderful to have that experience by the way i could have really done with localize um when in my last recruiting job um because i had to relocate a, a guy who's now a good friend of mine who's a german japanese guy i relocated yeah. him from tokyo to london um, he's like the only person that could do this thing. <laughs> and I had to someone get it. I tell you, my entire job stopped 
um, because everything was all about making sure Eno was sorted out <laughs> in terms yeah. of his flights, his dog, you know, everything. It was like, I had to, I had to go to Golders Green to, to flatten from him and everything. It was like, <laughs> literally, everything stopped, not even professionally, but personally. It was like, it was yeah. crazy. So yeah, if we had that, had some sort of support, that would have been amazing. Uh, okay, Lisa, uh, wh where can people find out more about Localize? Can you share the link actually into the chat yeah. stream? That would be cool. Yeah, 100% we'll do that. To, to be aware of. Um, I think it's localized with a Z, I believe, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, I share the uh, website. It yeah, should yeah. adapt, shouldn't it? It should be localized with a Z in the US, and then <laughs> when you switch to UK, it should turn into an S. That would be hyper-localized. <laughs> a hyper-localization. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the Z in the US. I think the, the only spelling thing that I agree with the US in is the implementation of Zs when it sounds like a Z, whereas the, the, the UK, I think it, the, there's no need to have that S there. It's just extra confusing. Um, okay, cool. Lisa, listen, hang around. We're going to bring you back, okay? Wonderful to see you. Um, and uh, we're going to get so some much. conversations going, and uh, we'll bring you back. Thank you. Great. Wasn't well, she great? Um, and by the way, Maria, I think you're right. Did look like the, the sunshine was flying there. That was fantastic. Um, okay. Um, we need to review the newsletter real quick, Adam. So give us a couple of things that was interesting from last week. Uh, deeply and dangerously polarized. I'm not. I'm not talking about you and me, Hung. Okay. I'm talking. I'm talking about people. Uh, according to the Edelman Trust Barometer 2023. Yes. It's uh, never been more grim reading than it was this year. Um, lack of faith in institutions, economic anxieties, disinformation, uh, class divide bigger than ever, dreadful leadership. Interestingly, it said business was probably of the kind of traditional institutions. Business was actually the, the, the least bad and, you know, politics and other things like like political organizations and things where in governments were like the worst um and yeah i mean it looks like the state of the world to me it's very sad but it's the truth and i do think you don't need to be an economist to read this it's plain english and uh it's well worth everybody taking a look at that one Yep, uh, it's one of the annual reports I always read um, because it is dealing with a very narrow topic. It's looking at how people think about trust and it glows internationally. I think it's 30,000 or so respondents um, and the methodology, I think, is rock solid. Um, uh, so it's very interesting to see how different people in different societies perceive their institutions um and it is very very interesting so have a look i've just shared it in the chat stream you can download it for free it's edelman.com trust uh 2023 trust barometer um okay and relevant for recruiting by the way because the the, the place of where businesses are and you know how business leadership is now perceived to be higher trust that's something like eb folks should be leaning heavily into get your CEOs like in front of camera like Lisa did there, just get them out there because that's actually a trust figure um, compared to politicians, media, whoever it is. So, you know, there's definitely EB interest there. Um, okay. Give us a, a couple more, Adam. Okay. Um, practical use, 14 practical uses for chat GPT. Yako. Yes. I think it is. Yeah. Yako 14 Valkenberg. list. Yako Valkenberg, right. Four list of 14 things. The first one is utter nonsense, but the rest of them are very good. Uh, <laughs> you have to tell us what that is. The first one was write an EVP. You definitely, definitely don't get somebody, like an AI to write your EVP. The rest of it, like recruitment, marketing words and things like that, and 
writing Boolean strings. I think you need to test them because they're not always right, but they're helping for sure. Working out like um, additional keywords that you can use in your Boolean strings and that type of mm. thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the other 13 were all good. The first one, absolutely not. But the other 13, yes, great. The, really good they, to, to read. The, there you go, Yako. Take that admonishment on the chin, son. Uh, <laughs> there's 13 uh, great uh, do it today kind of uh, usages of chat GBT, which by the way, is still obviously the topic du jour. Um, we had a massive uh, sort of show uh, a week or so ago. Uh, we actually have part two that's already into 400 people signed up to that. So it's going to go crazy. So February the 10th, make sure you're signing up to uh, chat GBT recruiting use cases part two. Um, how, much, how much did people say they would pay for it in your survey or is your survey not finished yet? It's, I think it's finished. It will be finished by tomorrow. Everyone obviously went cheap. Um, they said it was going to uh, pay $10 a month, but in reality, everyone's going to pay more. Um, it's worth more, as, as simple as that. Uh, it is worth it's, more. it's worth a lot more. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to quote a figure and scare people off, but as a professional, as a person just even casually using it, um, I would I would definitely go 50 to 100 per month on it, no question. Um, but uh, But yeah. I, th I think, interestingly, you know, they're going to go with 42. Do you know why? Why? Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. What was the answer? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. It was 42. 42. Uh -huh. The answer to the, the life universe and everything is 42. And the joke that Douglas Adams pitched was that it doesn't matter what the answer is. It's the question you ask it that's the important thing. So that's why they priced it at that number. That's Clever, a huh? very... Yeah, very clever. And, and it's a very good point. And it, it also brings me on to the topic of singularity. So um, let's talk about Boston Dynamics' new um, skills for yep. Atlas. Yep. Um, so well worth taking a look at this robot video, what it can do. It can do your carpentry work. It can build your scaffolding. It can do backflips. And um, it can learn you know, how to do a lot of human tasks. So when we're living in a world where nobody really wants to, like Gen Z do not want to pick up trades as a career, by the looks of things. Yeah, we're going to need more of these robots. But I've got to say, some of the tweets in the, in the thread are absolutely priceless. Like the very first one, how much does this cost? <laughs> like complete straight face. How much does one of these cost? Another, I know, another one said... I could definitely get down and pick up that tool bag faster than that robot. <laughs> Here's like, the thing. What's really interesting here is that there seems to be two parallel tracks of workforce disintermediation. So we have things like generative AI, which is attacking knowledge workers, uh, yeah. white collar workers, anybody yeah. typing into a keyboard. I mean, you and I have had this discussion online with people who are yeah. very much taking the Luddist, Luddite view in it. And with, I mean, you, you stepped in and had a word, but I was thinking, you know what, they're in trouble if they have that attitude because they're totally on the, on the wrong horse. And in marketing as well. Exactly. Crazy talk. Yeah. Um, but then you have the blue collar trade, which is what Atlas is showing is the robotics and the uh, where we're at with that type of thing. And you think, Holy crap! You know, even the the, the physical labor is going to be uh, sort of done by a lot of automation as well. So we we're in a really remarkable space in terms of where we're at. Um, okay, um, uh, that's about it. Um, unless you got anything else to say, uh, one one more really brief one, which actually fits in with that topic, which is um, Blinkist's like culture playbook. Yeah, um, I was quite an early Blinkist user, and I really love the product. But the 
um, talking about things that you know you should and should not outsource to uh, an AI writer, your EVP is definitely not one of them. And another one is your culture playbook. Mm. Uh, so go and take a Thank look you. at this. It's three pillars, effectively. One is purpose and vision. The second is values. And the third is ways of working. And you know this company doesn't do things it, the way that everybody else does it. They don't just follow somebody else's playbook. They've designed everything with what they think is the right way to do it. And I love that. And I'm going to do yeah. that as well. Yeah, um, big, big respect to Blinkist. I mean, everyone talks about how, you know, progressive tech is and, you know, how, how we do, you know, this, that and the other. But actually, everyone's playbook's exactly the same. Um, uh, apart from companies like Blinkist, who've said, you know what, we're going to build this from inside out and, and they've got this other way. A good example of this is they've actually got a very, very low um, recruiter to employee headcount. Um, which is yeah. completely counter to what you might expect a culture-first business to care about. But they have a decentralized recruiting method. They push the recruiting responsibility to hiring managers and say, we're going to equip the hiring managers with the ability to do it because at the end of the day, they have to own it rather than a centralized TA team. And most people think that's crazy talk. But this is a great example of a company that has gone its own way and is happy to share how they've done it. So we have to get them on the show at some point, actually. Um, I mean, that's but, future that's future proofing recruitment, if if ever it was, is you know, you 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 teach the teach the people to fish instead of like just yeah. constantly fishing for them. Yeah, yeah. And you wonder why we don't do more of that, maybe because we're uh, hoarding a lot of responsibility as well. TA likes to take on, you know, to, to, to gain value for itself to say, you know, it, only us can do it. Um, so you do wonder. Um, anyway, listen, we've got to get on. Um, let's bring on our guests. We're going to bring on, um, firstly, uh, uh, and Nivedita. She's, she, she's got to go pick up the kids. Uh, so we've got to bring her on ASAP. Uh, let's, three, bring on, three minutes. let's bring on Ruben. She hasn't got long, I know. Um, who else are we bringing on? Um, there's a couple more people let's bring on. I, I've just forgotten who, who our guest list will be. Um, okay, cool. Let's see if we can bring them on. Uh, they're both accepting. That's great. Oh, there she is. Hi, Hung. Hi, Adam. How are you doing? Hi. Great to see you, Navita. Nevidita, should I say. Um, you can just say Nivi. If it's Nivi. easier, Nivi. Yes. It is easier for me, so thank you, Nivi. Yes, I will yes. use that. Um, as Ruben's getting on the screen, can you quickly introduce yourself, Nivi? Who are you um, and who do you work for? I'm a senior talent acquisition uh, specialist mm -hmm. working with Vivino. Mm -hmm. And I have been in Denmark mm -hmm. for the for past three and a half years. Mm -hmm. But I Fun. joined Vivino in, in May last year. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And just a bit of context, uh, me and Vivi had a conversation online after we kind of, I think I started a conversation about this. Um, and I was really interested to get your perspective simply because you are also similar to Lisa, first who's moved to different countries professionally. Uh, so you've got the experience from the candidate perspective, but obviously you're a recruiter as well. So you have that sort of knowledge uh, 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 on the other side. Uh, we also have Ruben as well. Ruben, great to see you. Uh, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Um, I'm part of um, Immersive, Immersive Hiring, um, and we are uh, embedded recruiters. That is the best way to describe it. So we join um, companies uh, that uh, that have uh, either a capacity uh, issue with uh, with recruitment uh, or or just yeah need extra support with uh, with recruitment. Yeah. Um, 
Dutch guy living in Ireland. This is country number five for me. I've been on the receiving end of visas and work permits and on the delivering end of visas and work permits as well. And uh, probably one of the more unusual ones is uh, visas within the cruise industry, which is a, a completely different topic once uh, well, once again. But yeah. We will talk about that because it suddenly occurred to me because you're actually a mobile thing. So you'd be going to different places. It might have a completely different set of uh, of rules, which obviously it does. We'll dive into it. But okay, you two, you got to put your candidate hat on. Okay. Um, when someone approaches you for a job for a country that you didn't anticipate or target, like how did you kind of get to the point where you thought okay yeah sure i'm, I'm gonna completely uproot my life and go i mean uh this is like a, a, not a circumstance i'm used to um so i wanted to understand from your perspective you know what were the circumstances that made you think okay this is actually seriously good i should i should think about it um any thoughts on that if you could recall a circumstance of one of those moves um how about we go with uh with you first nibi yeah for me it was you are asking as a candidate right for mm -hmm. me as a candidate yeah uh yeah for me it was a little different because i moved from india to toronto and back to india and then to denmark because also because of my husband okay. work uh project so he works with ibm and mm -hmm. then he his project uh he was getting project when i got married he was in canada mm -hmm. so i decided to move to canada uprooting my life because i thought that okay why why are we getting married if we live in two different countries with uh, 12 hours of difference 10 to 12 hours of difference but then uh when we went mm -hmm. so again we moved majorly it was him who was the driving force and I tagged alone. But every time I have moved, I have searched for a new place, new job. And getting a job in a new country, that's an experience by itself, especially coming from a people and culture or an HR role. It's easy for the tech uh, people, I would say relatively easier, maybe for an engineer or tech, because the demands are very high. Also because it's more, you don't have to know the labor laws or you don't have to know the uh, done recruiting in that market. But it's difficult for professional like us, because every time I had, uh, when I shifted to Toronto, they said, you don't have in hiring experience in Local Canada. Experience. Yep. Yes, same with Agreed. Denmark. Very interesting. Two things you mentioned here, which I think is worth sitting uh, down on uh, immediately. Firstly, relocation is not always the single person's decision, right? um yes. especially if you're an experienced hire like if you're a young person like early entry maybe it is that like you're, you're you're ready to go but typically when we relocate people it's because we're looking for this experience uh, and that person may have then obviously built a life with other people there's spouses there's family you got to think about it you know maybe that's the first thing recruiters got to think about and the second thing you, I, I didn't realize but there's certain job types that may be more transferable or maybe less more location agnostic, let's say. So you're a Java developer. Yes, there may be different coding practices, whatnot, but you're still coding Java at some point. So presumably that's going to be smoother to get in in terms of location. And as you say, jobs that require, or, or, or the perception is that it requires local knowledge, um, whether it's cultural knowledge in terms of how to communicate with candidates, or in fact, legal knowledge as to what you can and cannot do so really interesting two components there uh ruben you're nodding your head on all of this um can you share with us your experience when you know uh when you start go ahead 
Yeah, so to touch upon that, the previous point is, is do your skills travel uh, is a big thing. So initially my career started in, in human resources and then crossed over to the dark side, aka talent acquisition, um, because talent acquisition travels better um, with HR, like, like you mentioned, you need to know the culture, language, uh, local labor laws and legislation and everything that comes with it. So yeah, it, what travels better is, is a big thing in there as well. Um, I think um, my sort of international horizon started way in the, the last century when I was an exchange student and I ended up at 17 um, going to the US for, uh, for a year. Um, so then your horizon goes, goes quite broad. So I went back to the Netherlands um, and studied and started my career. And my first job was actually already with a smaller international company and, and expat stuff was part of, part of my responsibility. Um, then moved into hospitality and thought, okay, hospitality is anywhere in the world. So started um, tailoring my network to that. Um, and then I was approached for a role in, in Dubai. And that was how yeah my first move uh, came about, uh, which was interesting. But it was also quite a, a culture shock. I had never been there. And I was doing a startup of a uh, quite fancy uh, Japanese uh, restaurant concept. And uh, th that meant um, recruiting everybody overseas, uh, doing all the accommodations for everybody, including my own, um, doing their visa procedures. You have to arrange transport for everybody in, in Dubai as well, uh, just because of the setting there. So yeah, that was uh, uh, quite a, a steep learning curve. Yeah. So again, you've introduced a bunch of things really interesting. Firstly, does the person have prior evidence of the desire to go to different places? I would say some kid at 17 who's gone to the us like a massive uh, shift that tells me that person's generally quite open to do it like certain people don't go anywhere and i totally respect that as well um yeah. but as a recruiter you might you might kind of see that as a signal because that person is going to be very tough to, to wiggle out of and i know back in my day as a recruiter adam i don't know whether you had the same the same input but we were advised do not talk to relocators um because <laughs> The, the additional admin cost was massive, but also the the, the the chance of the person being a window shopper was even that was perceived to be there. Like, mm. have they really thought this through? What would happen if you brought this person through the process and then this person ends up saying, oh, I'm sorry, in, in the end, um, it's going to take me too long to do. So I, I, I actually actively avoided, which is, you know, probably missed out on a bunch of people that way Adam, first, first year first year yeah first year of my first year of my career i i placed somebody into a bank here in scotland and i hadn't uh, actually bothered asking if the person had the right to work in the country i didn't really really think about it because the person had, was <laughs> a unit, was just <laughs> just, <laughs> just, just he was just he was just finishing a, an mba um at you know a university one of the universities in glasgow and i just hadn't even thought about it i was 21 years old and nobody had said you need to find that out it just was it which just was not part of the training. Yeah, and what yeah. happened? You, guy couldn't start. Like, yeah. you, guy got the guy got the guy got the guy got the job, and then uh, you got, got fired. Got I hope. No, I didn't get fired, but I I I don't think that I don't think the hire ever actually happened. Uh, but it took a. I mean, it was like it was down to basically. I think pretty much the day the guy was meant to be starting. 
nightmare. <laughs> See, that is an example of why it will, sh- it will shy you off. Is your re- young recruiter made a mistake? You'd you'd immediately think, okay, never again. I'm just going to look in resident and all this type of stuff. So, so you got to get that right. Mm-hmm. But thankfully, we've got products like Localize that can help us smooth the way. Even though we have to accept it's it is additional work. Um, so yeah. when you're let's go ahead, Nivi, you, you say something. No, I was just saying that uh, even even uh, even now when I'm recruiting for Vivino, we do recruit. Uh, our positions are open, like we do recruit from everywhere if if the candidate is good. But then we have seen that uh, some candidate like they are very keen they said that they are keen and they are jumping out the opportunity and everything but then once the process is over we get to know that his family or her family may not be on board with the uh, relocation part and everything and i've just had in the last year i've had uh, i mean couple of declines because he was ready and everything but his wife was not ready since she is a dentist and the dentist cannot work in Denmark until and unless they have the language and they have the, uh, I mean, additional exam and everything. So Nibby, that, is that also, the point? Yeah. Is that the point, Nivi, where you need to tell the candidate that they start need to start considering a like uh, long distance relationship? <laughs> <laughs> That's also another thing that certain uh, question. Uh, this I got from my experience that. In India, we ask all kind of questions to the candidates. Like, and it's very pretty normal. Like, we ask that, what about your wife? Are you married? Are you single? Uh, is she open with? Because India also is a vast country, so people relocate from different parts, and uh, uh, different parts of India are very different. So we do ask all this question. But I remember an instance when I was recruiting in Toronto. And I was, my boss was just sitting right beside me and I was asking a New York guy that, uh, uh, are you ready to relocate to Toronto? And then in that process, I asked that, what about, are you, what about your family situation? Are you married, single? And then my boss just disconnected the call and looked at my face and said that you are going to put, put me behind bars because these are questions that you cannot ask. And I was totally puzzled, like, what, what, what wrong? What did I ask? It's just a simple question. But that's how. And then when again I came to Denmark, I understood that here you can ask that question, but in a different way, like in a maybe towards the end of the process, maybe asking that, is he relocating alone or is he, uh, does he need support to relocate any other family member and things like that? But in India, it's a very direct approach. So I was getting about to, to know all this. You know, I was about to say this. Like uh, I, one of the things that is true is that uh, the dynamics of a of a personal relationship, of a conjugal relationship, are often very, very much between the people who are involved in that. Um, and it's it's difficult to say. Like I can imagine, for instance. Um, a a couple kind of deciding not to trigger a conflict um, by kind of casually saying, yeah, okay, in the hope that the person, that the spouse fails the interview, um, right? Because otherwise there'd be a hard line to say, look, I ain't going. 
um, and that is sometimes can create a crisis in the in the relationship um, that has been exposed by the fact one of them is actually uh, pursuing this opportunity, and and perhaps they don't have the communications in place as a, as a, as a pair to be able to have that dialogue. So even though one of the the partners says, "Yeah, partner's up for it," she's already he or she's already said, "I'm going." Actually, no. Like, can a recruiter like request to speak to the partner? <laughs> like, obviously not. Um, but I think it's a good idea, isn't it? Uh, it get, the, get, get the family involved, you know? Say, okay, it, it happens in search. It, in exec, uh, exact TA level, it definitely happens. Yeah, it does. Is that right? Like, basically, well, you've yeah. got, you stop the process and say, listen, we can't go further unless we speak to your husband. Uh, well, it's maybe not we can't go further, but it is the, 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 the spouse is often uh, involved in the conversation and uh, the whether it's a search consultant or it's internal, they will often say they want to like have a conversation because that's a good way of understanding like the full picture of the commitment and what's likely to happen here. Right. I want everyone to have a think about this. How comfortable are you? I'm addressing the audience here. How comfortable are you as a recruiter to ask to speak to the partner of the candidate? Anyone, um, but, anyone talks to my wife about anything to do with me, and you're cancelled immediately. <laughs> there we go. I mean, I think some people can be like, "Is this now super intrusive? It possibly is against the law, according to your jurisdiction." Um, but it, I think it, it also makes sense, right? That you can't deny that that's part of the situation. So, as a risk mitigation aspect, you know, if we eliminated, if we removed um the the legal side of it and to, the need to be compliant i think it's actually a very good mitigation strategy but at the same time you got to be prepared for pushback if people get offended by that i can totally get it if the relationship is a little bit in crisis then that can trigger uh, i think a strong conversation between you and the candidate if if they uh, if if you've uncovered something there uh, and then thirdly of course the legal side i mean you got to cover your, you got to understand where you stand there because obviously you get yourself into, into trouble let me know though folks have you had this experience would you do it if you were instructed by your boss hey listen have you spoke to uh, you know hung's missus or something uh, <laughs> you know what I, mean? I, I can't even imagine that that, that kind of thing uh, but anyway very very interesting um okay what else have we got to talk about so we've got to talk about sort of the family we've got to talk about motivation uh, Ruben, you were mentioning also in the chat, I think you talked about mindset and, and the cultural mindset. What, what did you mean by that commentary? Can you uh, expand upon that uh, a little bit? Yeah, I think this was more approach from, from why don't more companies um, consider this. I think there's a lot of things at play. There's obviously um, legal restrictions. Um, it's, it's not always easy for, for people to relocate. Um, have, for instance, in the UK, you can uh, you can go on the sponsorship list, uh, but there's there's a fee, there's there's costs that come with it. So a, a lot of smaller companies, like the current client that I'm with, for them it's 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 cost prohibitive to do it. So then you come to to the larger companies to do it. Um, what what we've seen as well when we work with hiring managers, and 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 it's it's difficult to find certain people with certain skill sets to look at, okay, why don't we look somewhere else? And some managers are quite open to that. They can see themselves um, managing remote out of the country because you've got remote in-country and remote out-country. There's differences there. And other managers just really struggle with that whole concept of time zones and these type of things. Um, and, and time zones and datelines are, are, are really complicated because I had somebody suggest, um, well, why don't we hire somebody in the US to cover also Australia? I said, yeah, that's fine, but 
think about the dateline because when in when it is Friday uh, in, in in the US, it's already Saturday in Australia, so you're missing a whole day. Uh, and they went, oh yeah. So those type of concepts are are, are quite difficult to to grasp, and people need to get get ready for that. Um, and and you see that people that have traveled and have worked with other people overseas can make that transition easier than people who have just, with all due respect, just worked in one country. I, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, it's it's prejudicial, maybe, but I think someone who's had the prior experience can is already a decent signal. Uh, that they they know what's going to be involved. It's very similar to someone who's worked remotely before uh, in their previous context because someone who's worked in office all the time, first time you work remote, you'd be shocked by the cultural shift involved there. No longer doing dailies, moving from synchronous to asynchronous, everything through video. There's there's like lack of information, obviously, compared to being in office. Big, big change. Um, and, And I know a lot of companies that, remote first that actually don't recruit anybody that hasn't had prior experience of which means they actually recruit typically experienced contributors rather than entry level um Mm -hmm. because they don't trust their ability to onboard them now you can say that's good or bad or whatever it is and yes they could all improve we could all improve but looking at practical realities is that those decisions sometimes get made okay we've got to keep on going folks um and maybe you got to go but before we um before yeah i think you got to pick up your child don't you i mean i i i get that responsibility to my husband oh no here we go communication <laughs> conjugally i love it um no but we have to move on anyway got more guests to bring yeah. on last word from you two from a candidate perspective what would you kind of say to an employer that is thinking about looking to recruit remote what do they need to get right in order to encourage the candidate to say okay this is worth uh, worth a shot um thoughts on this let's go with you first ruben um, well, aside from the legal paperwork, because that needs to be done, I think as a as a manager and as an especially as an HR team, you need to be prepared to get way more, way closer, way more personal with somebody who is moving country, whether it's by themselves or with a family, because you need to not just onboard them into the company, uh, into the role, into their new team, but you also need to introduce them into a new country. Uh, which is which is a completely different skill set. So your onboarding process uh, suddenly gets way way bigger, because where do you go for a dentist? What paperwork do you need? Which schools do the, do the kids go to? Um, what other tools are there? So your your onboarding uh, expands, uh, yeah, so much more. Uh, that is a big thing. You need to be prepared for for that. Yeah, it's basically a, um, uh, I mean, it's, it, people often say, hey, getting a new job is a big life change, but here it is absolutely a big life change on every level. Um, so everything from food to climate, uh, are you, have you got the right clothing, you know, all that type yeah. of stuff, super, super relevant. Uh, okay, Nivi, how about you? One, one, one tip you could give to, let's say, an ex-employer of yours, um, you know, that they could have done a little bit better to help you uh, get into that country. What would you say that they could uh, keep in mind? Definitely, I echo the same thoughts like Ruben, but, and one thing is onboarding like making the comfort uh, making the person comfortable or making him aware of what he is getting into not from the job perspective but as a whole country wise like for example when i shifted to denmark i would have loved to know if there were international schools in olborg if uh, i mean if there were international kindergarten for my daughter 
and if there were uh, what would be the where we will be we were not even provided with a house so we had to hunt down what is the mechanism of looking at or renting a place because yeah. we, we that also is very different from for yeah. different countries and getting getting your health card getting your residence permit how do you do it if there is one person i would say i know that the cost come with it but if any company if a big company or a mid range company i would say definitely if you are hiring international professional maybe have one person as a contact person for all international and yeah. then he or she might uh, be the contact person for things like that mm. knowing what to do and uh, whom to connect and where to go so yeah i would end with that that have one person uh, who takes care of international uh, employees relocating to uh, your country yeah you, and you're totally right you've got to provision all of those things at least for the first part because yes. the, the worst thing you can do is to say okay you got the job and then the person has to from remote uh, try and find an accommodation probably not even view the property have no clue about how legislation yeah. works no clue what the terminology is that's a nightmare um so so yeah you need to have someone there uh, and this is uh, this is the reason why you know localized as a as a as a as a, as a business has emerged because um it, there's no one catering for this in, in an efficient way okay folks um we're going to keep going thank you so much nibby thank you so much ruben please continue and watch the rest of the show great to have your comments going through um we're going to keep on going through um uh, thanks for your contributions folks thank you thank you bye bye how cool were they? Um, so Adam, uh, somehow you've lost uh, your, your screen as well. Um, okay, um, uh, listen, uh, weren't they fantastic? I mean, so, so much insight from people who have actually gone through the process themselves. Um, so I think that is something we should uh, uh, we should really pay attention to people who've gone through that, uh, that flow. Um, okay, folks, uh, it's a perfect timing for us to do the thing that we always do in every session. Um, that is to make sure that we all have the opportunity to connect with everyone else who's on the show. Uh, Brave Food Life has to come off air. Um, we are a conversation starting uh, type of mission, though. Um, we should not be sort of in, in a position where we um, uh, we uh, the conversation stops with us um, when, in fact, it should continue as you go forward. Um, so take this opportunity to share your LinkedIn URL into the chat stream. Um, or if you're watching on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever it is, share your LinkedIn URL in the comment thread and then make sure you connect with everyone else who's done that. Um, and the worst case scenario is you're going to emerge from uh, this conversation with at least a half a dozen cool contacts that you can keep with you as you go forward. And if you want to have another conversation with them, go ahead and have a conversation off air. No reason why you should not do this. By the way, Adam, I'm surprised you weren't like severely admonished for that massive error uh, <laughs> that you made, not checking the... Uh, uh, well, like the, a trainee... It was with National Australia Group, who owned Cl the banking company, who owned Clydesdale Bank at that time, and they had a big a European service centre in Glasgow, and it was an it was an internal auditor. And honestly, nobody wanted to leave the big four firm and go in there uh, as an internal auditor on the salary they were offering. But this guy yeah. was coming out of Strathclyde University with an MBA, and he'd been an he'd been an internal auditor previously. So, to be honest with you, anyway. I'm joking with you a little bit because essentially the. Um, the fact that they'd been in university here, I think would also kind of, um, it would also make me feel pretty confident that that was a done deal. Um, and, and in fact, you know, obviously not. So, uh, so yeah. Um, okay. We're going to bring on a bunch of people here. 
Um, this should be good. Let's bring Lisa back as well. Uh, we should get six on. Oh, I think Lisa's gone. That's okay. Um, who we've got here? Is it Big Rich? It hey, is. buddy. It is Big Rich. How are you doing, Rich? Nice to see you. And, and Rico you, buddy. As well. Um, okay. Uh, well, let's do some introductions. Um, Rich, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Hi. Um, I'm Richard Bradley. I am the VP for Strategic Sales and Customer Success at Kelly Services uh, and look after all of our European customers. Fantastic stuff. And we have Federica here as well. Nice to see you again, Federica. Nice to um, see you too. Why don't you introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Of course. So my name is Federica Chai. Um, I'm the Global Talent Acquisition Manager for CETA. We are a tech company in the air transport industry. Um, recently relocated to London. So I'm here as um, basically a recruiter, a manager that works in that space, um, but also a candidate has gone through the relocation. Yeah, fantastic stuff. And we have Toby Culture as well. Toby, great to see you. Um, can you quickly introduce yourself? Who are you? What it is you do? Yeah, Toby, work at Amazon, do talent intelligence stuff. I actually brushed my hair this time for you, hon. You, you did. You, you admonished you, me last time, said I look like a, like a homeless man run through a bush. I know. So, you did. You, you look like a hobo. <laughs> you, you look like a, I've made an effort. Someone's in screen captured the, the last time Toby was on, and yes, that was those hobo vibes coming out there. The, the fella hadn't washed for several days. You can see food in his teeth, everything. I was uh, very clean, very clean, just a bit messy. <laughs> That's great. Okay, listen, I want to try and bring Lisa back on if she's able to make it. But the reason why you three are here is because we want to talk about the global overview. So we've looked at it from like the local perspective and, and what's going on. But I, I thought, you know what, there's a couple of big things have happened over the last couple of years, um, maybe even particularly so UK-wise also, which is kind of underlined like what is the state of play with global mobility? Um, so firstly, shift to remote. Um, how uh, that has, I would say, been a, has suppressant effect, effect, surely, to remote because you know, a lot, now we're saying, okay, you can do all of this white collar work. We're not going to move you. You stay where you are. We'll push the job to you instead of pulling the candidate in. So has that lowered the demand for Relo? Um, second thing that's happened, obviously, we've had all kinds of tremendous geopolitical conflicts. Um, that seem to be causing certain populations to say, okay, actually, it's a risk to start recruiting from certain areas. You know, maybe it's not a good idea to have a remote anywhere. Maybe it's not a good idea to recruit from certain territories. What is the impact? What is the, what's the impact of, 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 of that on relocation? And thirdly, specific to the UK, um, we've had the scenario, obviously, where we had previously had access to the EU labor market, um, formal exit from the, from the EU uh, a couple of years ago. Um, that was a big out, and suddenly we don't have that access anymore, and we need to start sponsoring people from anywhere because actually everyone's treated the same. So how has that impacted relocation? Very interesting report. I forget who was from Institute of Employment Studies, maybe, who mentioned that maybe it was ONS actually, who mentioned that the overall numbers of immigrations generally been the same, but obviously the EU um, immigration has slowed to a significant level and that's been comped back by the non-EU uh, immigration. So where are the non-EU immigrants coming from? So wonder what you, your thoughts are on this. Uh, let's go to you, Rich, um, to start off with. Um, given your role as you know, one of the biggest RPOs, some of the biggest companies that I'm sure will have a lot of this type of, you know, the eyes on the ball in terms of global mobility. What is the tenor, if you like, from your customer base when it comes down to uh, finding people from another place and moving them uh, to a different country? 
Yeah, so look, international hiring's been been popular for for years, and it's and it's not really slowing down from our perspective. But there is, I think, there's a real differentiation between global mobility and people actually having a a program and a plan and a way of using this to attract talent as a, a as a way of engaging people in different locations compared to what we're seeing more of today, which is actually this could be an international hire. What I would say is probably two thirds of our customers today don't specify a single location. So, you know, we might have somebody and it's like this role could be based in Sweden, it could be based in the UK, or it could be based in the US. So what we're seeing is a, a, a real move to understand how people engage with talent um, across the globe we've got digital nomads you've got work anywhere policies you know then you've got things like international hires we're seeing a lot of people engage and look for talent cross-border that's definitely increasing what i haven't really seen over the last i'm going to say six or seven years because i'm going to take COVID into case is we've not seen a large number of companies increase a purposeful view of we are going to look at bringing in and looking at how we move our internal talent across the organization there's a lot of focus on internal mobility but we aren't seeing um, that really come through and a recent report backs up from PricewaterhouseCoopers you know 66 percent of organizations that they surveyed said that they hire internationally but only 23% of them actually had a formal program to do so. So we're seeing some interesting stuff in the market. So what I'm getting from that, Rich, is you're saying that uh, I, I love the uh, how you conceptualize it. So very few companies actually have a strategy even. Uh, they, they may have a, a kind of a fairly permissive attitude in the sense that, yes, well, we are open uh, to consider candidates from any location. I think lots of companies would like to say that is true. But then we find out that they haven't got, it's certainly not scalable. Like they haven't thought about, okay, actually let's get a hundred people from this place. Um, very few companies would have that uh, sort of mindset. I, I guess the only situation where they would have that mindset, if there is like clearly a critical need that cannot be serviced within the uh, uh, local population and you, you literally have to go out and get it. I'm thinking of like NHS and nursing, for instance, um, where, okay, suddenly you cut the eu off loads of talent came in from the eu to do nursing work can't do that where'd you go philippines indonesia uh you know and there seems to be some sort of active targeting whether that's good government incentivized or not um to go ahead and like you know a, a, a literally a destination brand the uk is a place to be to those populations out there that may want to come uh, and fill this like critical need in so yeah and look you know Organizations like the NHS are one of those 23% that have that, that focus. What I think is if you look across Europe, where I think it's really interesting is Germany. So Germany is effectively going to run out of people by 2030. So they are proactively looking at how do they not necessarily just promote companies, but how do they promote Germany as a location? How do they start to look at, and one of the few countries that's been really proactive with you know, the, the the conflict that we have to look at actually how can we use that conflict to bring Ukrainian people and engage and adopt them into 
the 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 work the work structure that we have in Germany because they are going to run out of people. So there are there are certain countries and organisations, and I think some of it is, you know, depending on where you're based, uh, has a significant impact in that. But you know, I think you're going to see some organisations absolutely. Others, it's just you know, they're talent tarts. They will literally try and find the best tart, but the best talent they can from wherever they can. Um, it's it's more it's more of a I'm not going into a nightclub thinking this is I'm going to go in with a nightclub and think I'm going to go for whatever I can get. There is an element of that almost spray and pray approach in in terms of international talent. Terrible I, example. I was going to say, Rich, do, do I have to hover on the mute button as you're yeah, introducing yeah. the nightclub pulling analogy? Well, <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, yeah, not the best analogy, especially not from me. Yeah. Yeah, especially not for me. Good analogy, right? No, yeah. I w- that was great though, Rich. I think you've encapsulated well. And, and we also need to talk about what's happening in the EU, which I think is a different... So I, we, we, we can sometimes forget in, in the the UK now, because obviously we're out of the EU. But there is kind of this... Intr- the single market basically means this barrier-free entry, but there still is a relocation component because the person is moving to a different country maybe speaking a different language, there will be different labor laws, even though there is free entry and movement. Uh, Frederica, actually, this is your experience, I believe. Uh, as I recall our conversation, um, didn't you live in the Czech Republic or something? Or was that Correct. some other lady I'll speak? No, it was you. No, no, it um, me. <laughs> yeah, so you moved to yeah. Czech Republic, obviously UK. I, I think you're from Italy or something. So you've Correct. multiple countries, all within the EU. Um, even in, in that circumstance, there's no compliance issues in terms of moving to and forward. What has been your experience that, uh, uh, that now that you've done it a couple of times, what kinds of things uh, are important for a person moving into those, those, those new, new places that you've never been before? Well, I mean, when I moved to Czech Republic, it was a different time. I still was still entry level, very junior. So it was easier to go through that move. Uh, but I think one of the, of the main things that I, were relevant, especially because Czech Republic is a very specific language that is not as easy to grasp if you've never spoken it before. So I came with my Italian and my English and that was it. No other languages. So um, having that approach with banks, with doctors, with insurances, it wasn't easy peasy because they were just speaking a different language. And as much as they do speak English, the the language barrier is still there. Um, So I think the support that was needed, and I got it partially in the company that I that I moved with, but it was very limited. So they helped us set up the, the bank account. Um, they helped, of course, they got the insurance for us, uh, but that was about it. And then I kind of had to navigate and figure out, you know, where, how do I get a GP? How do I, how do I do anything in this country? And I feel that was something that was missing um, at the time. Um, it's not something that I have encountered, for example, in my move to the UK. So when I moved here, I had full support across the board on every level. So when it came to the visa, when it came to registering here, we had a, a, an onboarding session where we went through all the different things and kind of helping us understand. And it was just, you know, with me and other relocators to kind of explain where to go. Now, of course, for me, it was easier because I'd lived in London already um, 10 years ago. So I wasn't a complete newbie, but I felt that that support was massively important because it gives you an overview of everything. You know, you're coming to a new country. You don't know how that works. You know, maybe registering to a doctor works in a way in a country, in a different way in another country. And having that support, having that kind of guidance is very important. Um, so I think I, that's I, what the key is. 
I suspect. Uh, thank you for. I think this, I suspect the size of the, the city that you go to has an impact as well, doesn't it? Um, awesome. Because if you go to a, like a huge city like London, for instance, like that size, the cities don't get that size unless they have ingested a lot of immigrants anyway. Um, so they will already have that kind of muscle memory as to how to get people into the country that may not be familiar with how it all works, etc. Whereas if you move to a smaller, even in a in England, if you move to a smaller city somewhere, if you move to Weald, wherever Toby is, you know, <laughs> you don't need much help. You know, <laughs> like, where's the post office? No clue. Um, so th that's a consideration, right? Where is the home office? You you might have all of this set up, but where is your HQ as a business? And is that in actually a metropolitan center? If not, then maybe you need to do some extra stuff for people that's going to come in because you don't have that sort of uh, density of, of, of experience yep. that help you through. Um, yeah, very interesting. Um, you about to say something more, Federica? I interrupted you, I think. No, no, I was just yep. agreeing. <laughs> Okay, very good. Um, Toby, let's come to you on this. Um, I'm, I kind of brought you in on, on the TI side, obviously. I, I wonder whether, and this may not actually apply too much in the sense that, you know, it may not be in the, uh, uh, simply the strategy of the business uh, that you're part of, uh, Amazon. But do you, sort of, do you have any visibility as to where talent movement is generally going? I mean, is there a sense to say, you know what, uh, you know, graduates in this type of degree seem to be moving into these countries um, or, you know, people who've had this type of experience are retiring here. Uh, what's your general view of mobility in uh, in Europe? Let's, let's put it that way. Uh, keep it to uh, a sensible sort of size for us to talk about. Yeah. Uh, yeah yes and no. So obviously we've seen a national level how things are shifting. And, and to Richard's point around collapsing countries, um, you know, the UK is radically changed its demographical footprint by by immigration and bringing in much young younger population and uh, I, I think we're still in a situation where lots of the uh, country level lots of the western countries are are, are going to struggle unless they radically change their their immigration policies and, and you see equally the work the, the countries like japan china's absolutely collapsing they, they, they just can't not collapse at this point it's just a matter of when um so I think think at a country level, that's probably going to be one of the core drivers because you get the whole push and pull. Um, you know, countries can really want to to pull younger demographics in, but if they don't need to go from a, a, a an economic migration perspective, I don't think that pull is really going to be there. And you, you'll definitely saw a lot slow down post Brexit. I mentioned earlier the shift in the UK migration rate from Brexit and European countries to the the rest of the world. Um, you're definitely seeing that that impact through. I think you're going to see graduates specifically really get hit in the, the next 24 months because there just aren't as many graduate popular, uh, roles coming through. Um, so that there isn't going to be a, as much for a, a pull factor on that side of things. Um, but but overall, I think that it's it's really a case of with com companies getting more comfortable with remote, I, I think that pull factor for migration isn't necessarily going to be there anymore at a com company level. Country level, absolutely company level, I think that it won't necessarily always be there. Um, and, and particularly with co companies such as Deal coming up where you can just hire anyone from anywhere where you don't have a legal entity already. That flexibility and fluidity would definitely have an impact. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, job flight, right? If you can't hire, I mean, there's a logic to it. If you can't, if you're sitting there and you can't actually hire the person natively, 
and then you can't actually hire the person externally, eventually that job will be pushed out uh, to the places where someone can do it, um, particularly if the job is doable remotely, um, which increasingly we've seen, you know, many, many uh, jobs uh, be done uh, that way. So, um, so yeah, it is, it is going to be a very, very uh, big challenge. And I, I, again, I like the, um, the tension between what is optimal for a country as the unit of analysis compared to what is optimal for a business um, in that country, because they're two separate things. Um, you know, a, a company has responsibility to its shareholders and to make its profits. Um, and you can't just instruct that company uh, to say, yeah, uh, hire this way, because that means that they may become uncompetitive, in which case they will eventually go out of business. Um, so uh, so they need to you know, have the flexibility to do those things. It's up to... Um, it's up to uh, the government to provide the relevant incentives um, for uh, for these things to happen. Um, yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. I, I think like Rich mentioned earlier, like tying countries that are tying it to digital nomad type passports, so passport, uh, Portugal, for example, I think they're really going to come into the, the, the fore because uh, tying it to yeah. a company, to your point, that's not their, their primary uh, goal. So, so countries that are smart enough and saying, well, actually, we're tying to the gig workforce, that freelance workforce, fluidity, I think that's going to be the way forward. Someone's actually mentioned it in the comments here, and I just want to touch on it really, really briefly, because I think it is an important component as to what, so who is, where's the visa attached? Um, because if the visa is attached to the employer, then suddenly that becomes far less attractive to the person relocating because they may be in a super vulnerable position. Um, you look at all of the tech layoffs that are happening uh, in the US, for instance. I personally have the view that I, I obviously being laid off is tough, but at the same time, these are very highly remunerated, highly credible candidates that are going to basically be able to get work really quickly. So I've, I've tempered my my, my kind of uh, sympathy somewhat on the basis of the fact that it, you know this is a strong community, strong labor force where it's happened to. Apart from the ones that are on these H-1B visas, where suddenly it's like 30 days, you have to get another sponsorship or 60 days, otherwise you're deported. Um, and you may have married kids, you might have your life set up there, and then suddenly out of nowhere, you might have had a great performance review, doesn't matter, boom, you're on the bottom below the line on the spreadsheet, and you have to get another job. Otherwise, you will get kicked out of the country, plus your family, I, I, what, I mean, probably pulled out with you. So, huge pressure. So, uh, so, so I think, as you say, the countries that are doing it smart, the ones that are tied the visa to the country level, say, look, we're going to give you this visa. You can work for any employer here, whatever it is. It's totally cool. It's portable with you. That becomes far less risky to, to go to that country than it is if it's attached to uh, an employer. And I think the UK, correct me if I'm wrong, folks, let me know in the comments if you're a UK employer, you know. But I think the new visa system we have, it is actually attached to the employer, um, which yeah. means that if the person loses his job or her job, they get, they get a letter from the home office saying, you know, on you go, son. Um, and that's not going to encourage the highly skilled in demand. Like you'd have to be someone who is really, really motivated to get a job to do it. That may not be your highly skilled, super uh, elite person because they'll have better options elsewhere where they, you know, they can go to Germany and actually they won't get kicked out. Uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? If they happen to have lost their job, um, they can actually take three months and you know reflect on what they need to do and not have all of these life circumstances come at them. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right, Toby. Um, I think uh, lots of countries are in demographic crisis. Nobody has got a, I think a, a, a the correct immigration 
uh, perspective, unfortunately, politically unpalatable. Um, so, so I'm not sure anybody's going to fix it. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's going to be some 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 people who lose lose less. I would say um, that have these smarter ways to to do it. Um, okay, folks, I've just noticed the time. We're like literally well over sort of the uh, the time as usual. So uh, we're going to have to kind of close it uh, off there. Um, I want to say thanks to Richard, Federica, and Toby to jo- for joining us um, uh, this show. Sorry, it's only been a couple of minutes, folks. Um, but um, I think it was Adam who was talking too much most of this time. So um, feel free to blame him. Um, okay, listen, uh, we'll get you back, obviously. It's been a great show. We should talk about it. I think six months down the line, the world's going to change again. So, you know, the talent mobility thing is probably something we need to review once more. Um, so, folks, okay, we're going to say goodbye to you. Uh, see you later, Rich. Great to see you, mate. Um, Thanks very much. Thank you. Federica, great to see you. Toby, wonderful to see you, man. Good product on the hair, man. Keep using that. That's a nice one. Get, get a get a subscription. <laughs> it is good. I'll, I'll look He's it. using fudge it, on that, isn't he? His hair looked good. Anyway, how interesting was this? I mean, I don't think you and I have ever worked internationally, even though I know you've expressed at, at some yeah. point the desire to do so. But it comes with these caveats. I think, you know, it's, it's tough. I mean, if, if you're tied to an employer, I don't think I'd, I'd be able to do it. It seems to me you're giving too much power to the employer um, I, I just wouldn't want to have that sort of leverage against me. I mean, you can imagine a boss leaning on you and saying, hey, you better do this, son. And they know, I know that I better do it. because if I don't, I've got 30 days to get a job. I mean, come on. You know, there's a, there's a whole bunch of people in, in Scotland, in Glasgow and Edinburgh, who make an absolute killing out of doing one thing, and that is transferring people internationally. Um, and I, I don't really know all of the different industries and things, but I, I know people that really specialize in jobs like audit and tax and things like that. And all they do is move people from um, mostly British tax, loca- you know, offshore tax locations. They move them from Gibraltar to the Cayman Islands and from, uh, you know, Jersey to uh, Bermuda and from Bermuda to British Virgin Islands. And that's yeah. what they do. And they make an absolute killing without ever meeting the clients or the candidates in real life and just doing it from home you know what when you have these types of problems that's where you get these these sort of little solutions around the edges to lubricate people through the system so inefficient systems however bad they are however immoral they may be that's a business opportunity um okay folks we have to close it there um thanks so much for watching hope you've enjoyed the show uh thanks also to our sponsors uh localize they will help solve all of these problems by the way so make sure you check them out um we'll be back next week we're going to be talking about do you personalize or standardize customer or candidate experience um it's one of the the two philosophies right don't tell me you should do both because we're resource constrained. Like, do you decide, hey, listen, this is how we do it. You apply it universally to everybody, therefore create equity, fairness, et cetera, and nice data. Or do you say, you know what, that's unrealistic. Why don't we actually try and individuate this uh, the candidate experience? In which case, maybe you expose yourself to bias and your data is all over the place. What do you do? Uh, we've got an amazing guest list to help us with that conversation. So make sure you sign up for that. Um, and uh, we'll be there same time next week, Friday at 12 o'clock. Okay, that's it. See you then. Cheers. Uh, that was pretty good, eh? Yeah, good show. Didn't know anything much about that topic. So glad no. to have learned a lot, lot more about it. Um, I, I think the next couple is going to be out of your depth as well, Adam. Um, oh, you know something about candidate experience, don't you? 
Um, I, I know, I know quite a lot of automating your communication actually. So uh, yep. I'm looking forward to I'm looking That'll forward to that one because that is one that I do know about. Then we've got ChatGBT Mark II, um, which should be I don't know whether you want to be part of that, uh, um, but uh, but <laughs> yes, I do. Welcome to be um, hiring in Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. Um, I think we might need to get someone else in for this uh, for that one. But it's going to be fascinating to observe. We've actually got a lot of local people from Riyadh to join us for that. It's going to be very, very interesting. Um, and at the end of the month, it's the state of the recruiter job market. So I'll tell you who you might want to tell you who you might want to think about getting on for the Gulf one is uh, Jamie Leonard. Yeah, and uh, you know the reason being he's just been out there on a recce, so yeah, he's got yeah. absolute up to the minute first hand experience of what is the difference between there and here. That's actually a really good idea. Um, uh, Jay's not actually been on for a while as well, so maybe it's a good idea to try and bring him in. So yeah, that's a good idea. Oh yeah, listen, that's it. Quick one. Give us, some com- yeah. give us some commentary on uh, Chris Eubank Jr. Uh, did you see the fight and uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I watched it and uh, I wasn't expecting that to happen. I thought it was very much a 50-50 fight. Um, I, I didn't expect that to happen, but Eubank's not renowned for great defence. He's not renowned for being a great boxer. Uh, Liam is. Eubank's renowned for being a great fighter. But Liam's, I mean, Liam Smith's head movement when, you know, he was, he was, he was like throwing his fists at the guy and Liam's head, Liam Smith's head movement was unbelievable. The stuff that he was avoiding. I mean, I know he got hit with a few, but his punch resistance is good. Both of their punch resistance is actually typically good. But uh, you, you bank just got, there was just one specific punch. He just got smashed and he, I want, I think he was probably weight drained. I think um, he was, yeah. He looked, you know, he, he's taking bigger punches than this. And you know what? One thing was disturbing is that you got Roy Jones in the corner and he was trying to be Roy Jones. You can tell his style, you know, low left and trying to all this like swaying out of reach and very much the stylistically. And I was thinking, you know what? He, you, you guys good, but Roy is patented yeah. that way. I mean, that you don't fight like he can because um, no one can. And, and he got, he was he found too. Out. He was like, I mean, he was going in with Eubank was going in with the jab, but then he was like, he was going in and out fast. But as he was coming out, he was going back in straight lines with yeah. his head up. You know, he yeah. wasn't, he wasn't, his, his movement wasn't great. He looked, he looked weight drained. Uh, yeah. And I don't think that's the end of him, but I think that we've got he's, another good one tomorrow, by the way. Who's that? Who's in? It's uh, Anthony Yard against Artur Baturbiev. Oh, I didn't know that. That's going to be a war. That's going to be a war that, that I actually fear for them both because they're both very, very hard, hard fellas. Um, he, Yard's only hope of winning that is by knocking him out. And he has been down. terbiev has been down a couple of times. Uh, but Yard's only hope of winning that is knocking him out. But if he does knock him out, see, one step from that is going to be Callum Smith. And the, Callum Smith is fighting the winner of that. I actually it's, it's already it's already there. I think Baturiev is better than Callum Smith. Um so, so but it's it's gonna be a war. I mean uh, uh, let's hope Yard does it, he's tough enough, but does he have the skill set? Don't know. Styles make fights. You might be right about Baturbiev because I'll tell you what, Baturbiev could beat Callum Smith, but get beat by Yard, and Smith mm. beats Yard. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. not a lot in there, but apparently Baturbiev is an animal. 
Like, yeah. he's extremely good. He's very, very good. Like, he's good, strong, and he's very technically as well. And he, he he's, he's got the, wouldn't not even add the tiger. He looks like an assassin in there. Like, he, yeah. he's, he's just mean. So, yeah, it's going to be a good fight. Anyway, listen, um, you have a good weekend. Enjoy the rest yep. of your long holiday. I hope it's a, a sort of a, a, a birthday weekend for you, mate. And yep. uh, we'll see you next week, mate. Cheers. See you. Bye.